welcome to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta, where we are committed to changing lives with faith, hope, and love. We're so glad you are here. Our second scripture lesson comes from the New Testament book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 to 30. Again, I invite you to listen for the word of the Lord. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's been a sad week in Marietta, Georgia. On Monday, after her cross-country practice, a high school student named Liv Teverino died in a single-car accident on Burnt Hickory. You may have read about it in the paper. Our whole town has been in shock. Many students at Marietta High School have been feeling this loss profoundly. Prayers for her parents and her brothers have been lifted from every place of worship in our town. It seems as though it's what everyone has been talking about, the accident, and everyone has been talking about her. In the wake of her death, what have you heard people say about Liv Teverino? I've heard that she was an outstanding student But no one has mentioned her grades in any detail. She ran cross country, but I don't know how fast she could run a mile. No one is talking about the kind of car that she drove, the brand of shoes that were on her feet, or who she was going with to the homecoming dance. When you read about about Liv, it's almost all about the way she made people feel. It's almost all about relationships. And when tragedy strikes, it is often this way because death reframes things. When tragedy breaks into our lives, it changes our focus to what matters most. And what matters most in the end is love. When we realize how fragile our lives are, 
So much of what we spend time obsessing over suddenly feels trivial. So, while I have known many students who care deeply about their grades on tests, I have yet to see anyone's ACT, SAT, or grade point average in their obituary. Never have I heard anyone's dress size or body weight mentioned in a eulogy, and yet we spend so much time thinking about how we look. When our time comes, what is vanity will fall away and will be forgotten. What will be remembered is how we made people feel. Knowing that, how will you live? Jesus told a parable about a man who was walking down the road when he was attacked, robbed, and left for dead. There he was, naked and lying on the side of the road, but up walked a priest. Surely the priest would stop and help, but the priest didn't. The priest kept on walking. Maybe he had a meeting to get to. After the priest came, a well-born man of the tribe of Levi came through. He was born and raised to perform the works of holiness at the temple, only it must have been his day to burn the incense because he walked right by the wounded man and went on his way. Finally, up came a Samaritan man, the Samaritan man, the lowest type of person on the societal totem pole. He's the janitor, the garbage collector, the illegal immigrant, the convicted felon, just plug in kind of person it was socially acceptable to make jokes about, and you've got it. Yet he was the one who stops. He's the one who put the wounded man on his horse and takes him to get the help that he needs. Knowing that, how will you live? Knowing that tragedy has a way of showing us what matters most. That it is not our ability to show up to meetings or how well thought of we are in society. How will you live? Knowing that what matters most to Jesus is our willingness to stop and help those who need us. How then will you live? It's the way we treat each other that matters. It's our relationships that matter. And yet, relationships are hard. My favorite proverb in the Bible it's Proverbs 21.9. It's better to live on the corner of a roof than inside the house with a contentious spouse. That's right there in the Bible. Look it up. It's really there and it's in there because it's true. Our relationships matter the most, yet our relationships also require work. So, while some spend all kinds of time working for perfection in academics or perfection in athletics, and while some spend all their time thinking about how much money they can make or how well decorated their home is, and while I get wrapped up in all kinds of senseless pursuits, if we're going to work for perfection in something, let it be perfection in relationships. Make sense. 
Only that's easy to say while it is harder to do, especially when we spend so little time thinking about how to do it. I recently read an opinion column by David Brooks where he said that talking with young adults has recently made him concerned. He noticed how animatedly young adults talk about their career prospects, having spent considerable time thinking about what they'll do and and how they'll meet their vocational goals. Yet they've thought about their future without having spent much time thinking about who they will spend their future with. Relationships matter the most in the end. And so the Apostle Paul, who in our second scripture lesson, writes from the perspective of his own death, has his relationship with the church in Philippi on his mind. He doesn't know if he'll ever see the people he is writing to, yet he he clearly loves them. And so he says, whether I ever see you again or not, whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. What he means by worthy of the gospel of Christ is strive together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened. Fear and isolation go hand in hand, don't they? The more afraid of rejection we are, the less we work for relationships. The less we work for relationships, the more isolated we become. The more isolated, the more afraid of the world we are. What are we to do about these twin scourges in our modern society, fear and isolation? A new member of our church staff, her name is Joanna Edelvine. She works with the kids in Club 330, our after-school program. She's also a seminary student. She's been, she's, been doing wonderful, she's been doing wonderful things, and she has been promoting our church so well out in the community. Last week, she invited the woman who does her nails to come to church with her. She came along with all her family just last Sunday, but, but to my point... A couple of weeks ago, she gave me this quote, and I've been repeating this quote ever since I heard it. Safety is not the absence of threat. Safety is the presence of community. Now, that's a good one. I'll say it again. You can write it down if you want to. Safety is not the absence of threat. Safety is the presence of community. If all that matters in the end are not our professional accomplishments, but our relationships, and if Jesus is more interested in seeing us care for each other than he is in us making it to the temple on time, and if the thing that truly makes us feel safe is the presence of community, why aren't we working harder to build better, more healthy relationships? Honestly, why would anyone say, I can't make it to dinner tonight because I have work to do, when dinner is the thing that's going to make us feel safe and loved in the end? Why would anyone slander her friend to beat her out of that promotion when the promotion will be forgotten while the relationship will be remembered? If what makes us the happiness, feel the safest, and pleases the one we claim to follow is the way we treat each other, 
Why do people pay more for their wedding photographers than they do for premarital counseling? I don't know. And if this last statement sounded a little resentful, forgive me. I have so much trouble posing for pictures that I get a little self-conscious around wedding photographers. My wife Sarah once wondered how many wedding photographers have captured me with my eyes closed. She can just imagine some couple whose wedding I officiated looking at their old wedding pictures on down the road with their grandchildren and some bright-eyed granddaughter wants to know why the preacher looks like he just woke up from a nap. <laughs> Perfection and photographs won't matter in the end, or so I hope. After all, you don't need to be perfect. You don't need to look perfect to have a perfect relationship. In fact, accepting each other's imperfection is most of what makes relationships work Reading Paul, notice how much he talks about his struggles. This morning we hear him talk again about his suffering, which makes me think that asking for help, admitting that we need help because we aren't perfect, is so much of what makes relationships perfect. Meanwhile, we are prone to hide our imperfections. We try to get everything just right. We judge our waiters based on how well they take our order and deliver it correctly as though, as though the perfect meal, the most nourishing meal, were the meal where everything went perfectly. Last Wednesday morning, I was listening to a podcast that Catherine Breed, our director of children's, children's ministry, sent me. It's about a restaurant in Japan where the service is notoriously awful. Normally, that's a bad thing. Good service matters, and at this restaurant, customers are rarely getting what they ordered. At this restaurant, if you order sushi, you might end up with steak. If you order steak, you might end up with miso soup. A glass of water might come to your table, having been drunk half already by your server, who might or might not bring your order to the table next to you because every member of this restaurant's wait staff suffers from dementia. That's not the kind of restaurant we normally hope to get reservations at. But what if we have it all wrong? What if our culture of high achievement is pushing us apart? My friends, Perfection in academics, athletics, beauty, or, or vocation is unattainable. It's also boring. Emily Adams left the 830 service and told me I was right about that. Perfect is boring, she said. Having gone to a baseball game where the pitcher pitched a perfect game, which is an accomplishment that's worth celebrating, though it is not very fun to watch because nothing happens. <laughs> Likewise, our hearts break and we don't want to show it. I've even heard people apologize for their tears. 
Yet last Tuesday morning, the morning after Liv Teverino's death, I went to Marietta High School and I saw crowds of broken-hearted kids. Not a one of them was alone in their grief. Not a one. Because perfect is boring. Revealing our imperfection, our suffering, our heartache, our broken hearts builds relationships. And in the end, relationships are what matter most. So build better relationships and build them with the people you love by being bold enough to reveal your imperfection and tolerate theirs. Amen. This podcast is a ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta. Come join us Sundays at 189 Church Street, Marietta, Georgia, or visit us online at fpcmarietta.org.